0: Let's pray. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. And as we are sorely hindered by our sins from running the race that is set before us, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom, with you and the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. Well, the other, the other day some of us were talking and I was reminded of uh, how strange, I think, the story of Noah building the ark is and how he must have been ridiculed like year after year after year as he's, as he's building this ark to, he's building a boat to protect them from this flood, from rain, which people had never seen. So he's heard from the word of the Lord and he's being obedient to the word of the Lord but he's receiving all kinds of, he, Surely, he received all kinds of backlash for that. He was doing something extremely strange, which took forever. And everybody, it, it was not like he, this wasn't something he was building down in his basement. This thing was huge. So everybody around would have known this. And I think his that, that piece of the story, uh, we think there are a lot of amazing parts of that story. But that piece, I think, is huge. And we actually, I mentioned that uh, a few weeks ago when we were in a lesson talking about enduring costs for your faith. Well, today's lesson doesn't seem nearly as strange as that one to us. Um, and I regard us, you know perhaps the, the Noah story is not that strange to you because you're so familiar with it. Maybe this story is not even strange at all to you because you're so familiar with it. And I, would, I want us to see beyond our familiarity and see the strangeness and the weirdness of what's going on in both these stories. And this one may not be to the same extreme that the Noah story of building the ark is, but I think it has a similar thrust. As people of faith, we are to have compassion on others, on the lowly and the outcast. And then we're having to have the courage to stand with them in opposition to the world around us. And then since our confidence of our faith is in the scriptures, we then are willing to commit at the cost of our own comfort. This is what we're gonna look at. So first we're gonna look at compassion. So look with me, beginning in verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So Deuteronomy 22:23 and the verses following, say something like this, that if a betrothed virgin were to go into the city and lie with a man, then that they were both to be stoned and put to death. Now, that, in, our, in our world, this seems extremely harsh, and you know, we're thankful we can just chalk that up to Old Testament stuff. And our views on sexuality certainly progress, yet God's standards still are, are the same. So this is the context in which Mary finds herself pregnant and the, Joseph, her, her betrothed, is learning and experiencing this. So though, this, though, though the whole scene... Uh, I mean, other than the miracle of the birth, but if you were to overlook that and you want to do away with miracles and say, oh, well, surely, they can't, you know, this can't happen. Well, the whole, the whole thing of being pregnant out of wedlock in our world is not unusual. It's extremely common, unfortunately. But God's design is that it would actually happen in wedlock. So Mary, coming along, being pregnant, in, in that time, she would have been ostracized from her community, if not stone. And then we have to understand something about betrothal. That's, it's it's more significant than what we consider as engagement. Um, I really don't guess I thoroughly understand our engagement. Um, Becky and I dated. We we were together for seven years before we actually got married. So, and then we were engaged for part of that time. And all those things were way too long. Um, but we had to grow up first. We were. We, we were 15 and 16, so it's not like you could just date a year and start getting married here. Well, I don't know. We probably could have been West Virginia. I don't know. But, <laughs> but we didn't, anyway. We, our parents made us grow up before we could get married. But um, our concept of engagement, you're taking the relationship to the next level, and your intention is to get married. But like if you were to back out, we would say, good job. I'm glad you backed out, and you learned what you needed to learn, to find that, that wasn't compatible so that you didn't go through the marriage. Well, that's not what betrothal is. This is not the trying on period and taking the relationship to the other level. This is beginning the relationship. Um, and it's in that time that it's the same as marriage. And so a betrothal would be seen through to, uh, t- through the marriage. Well, the only way to break the betrothal would be through a divorce. And so then, it's referred to as husband because this is good, as good as done when, when you begin. We who like to start things and maybe never finish or switch gears or change channels, um, that's not, the, it, this is hard for us to relate to. This is serious business when you begin the betrothal, not, not just at the end. So you, once you start, you're gonna see this through the end. They may never have spent any time alone They would have been surrounded by family all the way throughout this betrothal period until the wedding. So um, having that in mind, it is Joseph who has compassion then on Mary, the outcast, in this this little section, these, what is this, two verses? Um, It's Joseph who has compassion on Mary who would be the outcast. And, and the downtrodden. So Joseph is willing to take on shame in order to protect Mary. He didn't want to bring attention to her condition. He didn't want to make a big to-do about it. He's, just, he's a just man, that's what the text says, and he wants to do... So that means he wants to do the right thing. He's a man known to do the right thing. He wants to do the right thing, and to do the right thing, he's thinking... Okay, I will divorce you quietly. so that the, I'm not going to advertise your condition. I'm going to protect you. Now, I will receive shame for this, but I will do this quietly. How often are we, how often are you, willing to absorb shame on behalf of someone else in order to protect them? So we are to have compassion on the outcast, the downtrodden, and then we're to have courage to stand with them. Look with me, beginning in 20. It says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I, a commentator, uh, Kenneth Bailey, says that this phrase, that he, as he considered these things, <clears throat> could also mean uh, or carry the meaning of anger in this. So maybe more like as Joseph was mulling over these things or fuming over these things, an angel appeared to him. If you were in Joseph's shoes, how would you feel? Betrayed, confused, humiliated, angry maybe. We like to sanitize the Bible stories and particularly the um, Christmas stories, the, the birth narrative stories. We, we do like to sanitize those and make those more tasteful. But I want you to feel the weight of Joseph's position. Recognizing that they're willing to stone you if, you if this is found out. And then to stand with her would have a cost on, from him. And then he's betrothed. He hasn't been with her. I don't, I'm, I'm not going to describe any more than that. I've, I talked about that enough when we were in Esther. But that being with or knowing, <laughs> that some, of the, some of the texts may say she hadn't known her husband. That's the same thing as the Esther scene. Um, so they're, they're getting this across that she, she has not known Joseph, yet Joseph learns that she's pregnant. So what do you do with this? So the Lord sends an angel as he's considering, fuming, whatever, these things. Uh, they, she, the, the Lord sends an angel to him in a dream. And it's in this that Joseph learns this truth and then he's willing and able to turn from despair, like his world had been crushed before him. How is he gonna explain this to the parents, the families, etc.? But he's turned from despair to a man of courage. He met with the Lord through an angel. And now he's willing to stand with her because of his faith, even if it means being ridiculed by the world around him, like Noah of his day. He will take on the cultural shame in order to faithfully carry out God's will for his life. Joseph had compassion on Mary, then he had courage to stand against the prevailing cultural tide to live out his faith. How frequently do we cower when we could stand? Perhaps at at times, uh, fear of man's opinions or fear of man's judgments or fear of man's condemnation keeps us from standing in faith and obedience. We need to be like Joseph in this story and be willing To simply put what the world thinks of us, or if they're going to ridicule us because we're going to practice our faith, we just take it. But we go ahead and practice our faith. This is simply a thing of priorities. Do I really care what you think about me, or do I care about being obedient to God? And what I just said is extremely simple. But it's hard to live. And you know it because we care about what other people think about us. I'm one of three kids. I have two sisters, both older. I look the oldest, it's my nature. They're sweet girls. They're just lovely uh, women, mothers, all those things. The oldest has always been more afraid of what people think. I've proclaimed I've never been all that concerned about what people think, except there's a reality behind that, that I too care about what people think. And it's just, it's, it's in who we are. We do care. But do we care, do we put that as the priority or do we put being obedient to God? So with Joseph's example, if we were to follow it, we will have the courage to stand with those who are downtrodden, with those who are persecuted, with those who are outcast, and we are willing to absorb the cultural shame that goes along with that because we're gonna have courage to stand with them. Now that courage, where does it come from? Well, okay, we're gonna have confidence. What are we gonna have our confidence in? Is it me and is it my ability? Or is it God's word? 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this, and and this came out of the Isaiah passage, which Zach read a little bit ago. This is the doctrine of of the virgin birth. Now, I don't know that this is that hotly debated topic around the water cooler these days. So you're trying to create conversation, and I encourage you always to continue to build spiritual conversations. Not sure that this is on anybody's mind these days, but it certainly has been. It's been a hotly contested thing. Um, Because this doctrine is inconsistent with the scientific model. The scientific method is one where we should be able to reproduce the same, uh, the same scenario and ended in the same result. Well, according to what this says is you, we can't do that. We can't, there, a, a woman cannot become pregnant without man. As independent as women are, they still need us for something. So we, we know that and it does play out like that. So if we can't reproduce this same result at, in the same scenario, like in a laboratory, then why should we believe the Bible? This is kind of, and I'm maybe, maybe I'm rolling you back however many years, and it, and it, can, it, it can be many. I mean, like up into the 30s, people doubted this, and you know, whatever, I guess people have doubted this since time began. But like people in the church and still calling themselves church, I, ran a, I read a statistic of a particular denomination of the numbers of ordained pastors in that denomination. And, and however many of them were interviewed, and, and the um, number that would deny that there are two big ones, virgin birth and, and the resurrection, we can't reproduce in a, in a laboratory. In that denomination there was a large percentage of their ordained pastors who didn't believe these things. Now they're ordained and they're pastors and they're in a church and it's a denomination. And I was like, well good land, surely this is bad. And surely the church has been going downhill recently that study was from 1968. I was 4 years old. So when I was 4 years old and being one of the oldest in the building, the church had a denomination the, the larger church had a denomination where a large percentage of their ordained pastors did not believe the virgin birth story. So if they didn't believe it, they didn't preach it, they didn't teach it. If you grew up in one of those, you weren't convinced of it because they didn't spend time on it. Well, you know, that's not where we are, so I want us to know what we believe and why we believe it, even if it's not a hotly debated uh, topic at the water cooler in these days. And I want us to understand, at least to some degree, why this even matters. Um, Some would argue that out of that Isaiah passage, which is what Zach read, the first reading, so 714, where we in our English translations translate this to virgin, the Hebrew word would mean young woman. And us on this side who believe it still would say, yes, this is true. That is what that means. But the context would show young woman would mean virgin. And then there are other times where the same Hebrew word is used and it has the same kind of context. It would be a, a young woman who is a virgin. So, there's not a strong evidence. You all can find um, websites to go to, and you click on it, and it'll show you the, the Greek or the Hebrew. So, and lots of people do this, and then they start extrapolating all kinds of things without regard to the context or where it's been used. Well, that's kind of what's going on with that argument. Now, that, so that, this, is, this is the argument, which I don't think holds any water in Isaiah. But what we're talking about here is in this context, in Matthew. Matthew is the disciple who's telling a story. He wants you to know how the birth narrative happened of Jesus. And our immediate context here in Matthew is very clear. There is no consideration that he's talking about a generic young woman. He's talking about a virgin, because, he says, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus before they came together, she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. And that's, again, where some texts may say, before she knew him. But the meaning is clear. Jesus was born of a woman, Mary, and the Holy Spirit. Now Luke's gospel in chapter one says that the Holy Spirit will overshadow you when, when he's visiting Mary. And Mary's like, whoa, how's this going to happen? I've never been with a man. He's, the, the angel says there will be an a, a, a overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. That's as specific as we can get. But what this does for us is being born of Mary, a human, being born of the holy spirit divine jesus is both human and divine and and we don't think that's some weird mix where he's sort of one sort of the other he has the full glory of the of the father in heaven he also has all the human issues except sin and the fallenness as we do now and this all their doctrine matters, and several of them tie together. And there's a doctrine of original sin. So those the Bible tells us we are, we are born into Adam, and in Adam we inherit his sin nature. So we back to we are not sinners because we sin, we sin because we are sinners. So our natural default and our bent is for sin, and that's where sin feels good for a season we like it so we go for it and we are already when we're born not connected we are we are apart we are separated from god so in this spiritual sense we are not his when we're born he will regenerate us bring us to life by the spirit and then we then can know him so what we understand is all humans are born into to Adam. So we all have a sin nature. What this story tells us is. How can one be born of Mary. A human. And not have a sin nature. Well it's because you're born of the human Mary. And this overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit cleanses, purifies Mary's womb. And makes it impossible for the effects of uh, original sin to continue to be passed. And so we have Jesus, who is without sin, being born of a woman. Now we say in our creeds these things every week. But this is why it matters. Um, and I, I meant to quote some old saint that Dr. Kelly used to quote, and I, can't, and I, and I forgot to do that, but, but uh, whoever, whoever that guy is, he, he would say that what um, is redeemed is, must be assumed and what that means is god has intention for us to be fully redeemed in our in, in our not just our spirit but our body as well and so god as he comes to deliver us in the way of jesus then he assumes our identity our our who we are our human nature because he will be redeeming it all that's more of the theology of the body. So that is a, a, a bit of a, a veer, but we're, we're, still, we're still tracking that it matters. Where Matthew then is telling this story and he refers to Isaiah, what's Matthew's sense of why is, why is he confident that this is true? So Matthew is probably, uh, he and Luke probably searched uh, other sources likely interviewed Mary herself. So they, they are getting the information as close to firsthand as possible, then they're delivering it to us. But then they're, they're not seeing this Old Testament text, the, that from Isaiah that Zach read, not, we're not seeing that as something isolated from today's events. What Matthew is saying is because it was written long ago, It comes to fulfillment in the here and now. Multiple places throughout Matthew's Gospel, he says something to this effect, that this took place so that the Scriptures may be fulfilled, or the prophecy may be fulfilled. And that's that's what he's saying in here. The New Testament writers had the Old Testament to go by. They didn't have New Testament Scripture, they had the Old Testament Scripture. And they would read the prophecies about the coming Messiah and then they would believe them and then they were expecting and then they applied those texts to the Messiah who came, Jesus. The Old Old Testament scriptures said, said this and then they're saying that now this has happened. So Joseph's confidence also then comes through not just the word of the angel but he also has a background where like he wasn't just new to church. He didn't just pop in. He actually was in church or the synagogue or the temple and he had heard these scriptures and there was an expectation that the Messiah would come. So he's hearing from the angel and it's giving him confirmation of what the scriptures have already said. So Joseph's confidence is in the scriptures and through this word of God. For us, I say, Lord, help our unbelief. You know, as I do, that it's not the things... You know, we, we believe, but it's like, help our unbelief. When you get into that thing of doubt, worry, concern, or you think that it's not true, and somebody says, well, but the Bible says this, and they only give you one verse. But like, what that one verse said to you, it either has to dispel your unbelief, or you choose to ignore that text. And this can be, this can be true of us, with texts actually quoted in proper context, now you take a text out of its context, and you know, okay, I'm hoping that doesn't really sway you, but this one, quoted right out of the correct context, and it's not convincing us, then we need to ask the Lord, help our unbelief. Help our unbelief. Help us believe like Joseph believed, that we would have confidence in your scriptures so that we would be willing to lay our lives on the line. Because this is what Joseph did. Because the next thing we're going to look at is commitment. 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. So Joseph, as we've walked through this story, where he first had compassion, then courage, and then confidence or conviction, he now has commitment. Joseph was a man of commitment. And this story, I think, is very refreshing to us today because we're seeing somebody who has commitment. We live in a world where commitment is waning. When you find somebody who can actually keep their commitments, they stand out. It's weird, and it's more so all the time. That's, that's been true most of my life, but it's more and more true now. People can tell you anything. A person's word really doesn't mean that much anymore. This is why we have so many papers. When you go to sign, when you buy a car, when you buy a house, we have reams of papers to sign so that everybody can cover everybody. It's the way it goes. I, I sold our family farm, this is 10 years ago, I sold our family farm on a handshake. When the buyer went into the attorney's office for, per, to prepare for a closing, the attorney said, where's your contract? And John said, well, we don't have a contract. Whoa, wait a minute. What do you mean you don't have a contract? You've got to have a contract. John said, well, We talked about it and then we shook hands on it. So we're good to go. I don't know what happened after that. Maybe the guy made a contract. Maybe we ended up signing it at um, closing. I don't know. But the story he was telling was true. We just didn't have a contract. We had a handshake. But that doesn't happen these days. Um, It's not that things have changed in the last 10 years. Things didn't happen like that 10 years ago. And and that was a significant, uh, whatever, sale. Slash purchase, but this is unheard of because what we know is we can't count on the words. You give me your word, what I know is we need some papers to back that up. There's a recent divorce. I don't. I don't know why. I like last week. I or week four. I included some uh, news topic. It was about a, a divorce also. I don't know why I even have this information. This is a, 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 a newer country music person who I'd never heard of. Had gotten a divorce from a, another country music person who I'd never heard of. Because they're new. Now that means they could have been at it for several years by this point. But they're not very old people. But their marriage blew up because the glitter wore off. Yeah, I, I see the shocked look on your face. See, nobody's shocked by that. They're like, "Well, oh, of course it did. And those of you who've been married more than 90 days, you know that the glitter wears off. So my, the, old, the old man giving some advice, you know, I could step out of the pulpit for this one. It's just that as the glitter wears off, you're getting down to the polished gold. You're, you're getting to the real stuff. But that's not the way they saw it, so it blew up. Now this is made news, so much so that I even know about it. Now, I don't know anything about their story. I, apparently, they tried for a long time, like five years. I've had good intentions of all kinds of plans that have been in the works for longer than five years. And, I, and I, I don't say any of that lightly. You know, I do think I'm funny, but there's a there's a cold reality where we got into this because there was glitter and glitz, and when that wears off, I have nothing to sustain my infatuation and lust. Because we've confused what love is with infatuation and lust. It's the way I see it. Personal opinions here. They may have very valid reasons. Headlines might be wrong. I think the headline is indicative of the world in which I live and you live. The concept for any relationship is that we would give ourselves away. The concept for marriage, so, so marriage, I think, is a sanctification to it. I had a buddy I grew up with, and he was just like me. I think the most compatible relationship without argument, if I'd have been married to him, and of course, today that'd be fine I and mean, thoroughly all right. But we, we could have been married together and then not had any arguments. Because we do all kinds of things that are just exactly the same. But that's another reason I think that the Lord has this weird thing where we're going to be married to the man and a woman. And it's, Becky and I obviously grew up together. And so we have a lot in common. There's not a lot of differences yet because she's made differently than me. It's been a sanctification tool. Rubbing off my rougher edges. And I I know you're wondering how effective that's been, but you should have seen me before. You think I'm bad now. But the the whole concept for a, a marriage is about giving up yourself to love the other. So it's giving yourself away. If, As I give myself away to you. I love you, my children, in the faith. I give myself away to you. I care for you. Now I do that in the ways that I understand how. And it may not be in the ways you want. But that's what relationships are about. This is what marriage is about. But you know as well as I do, in our day and age, it's more about what's in it for me. And if the glitz and glamour has worn off, it's quite acceptable. Because why? My personal happiness is my ultimate goal. That's what the world tells us. And you can easily find people that will confirm that for you. Joseph's story is not one of his personal happiness. Joseph's story is one of withstanding the ridicule and shame that's going to go along with this, which, again, we can't relate to very well because... We are so out of whack in our day. In their day, this is an odd happening, just the fact that she's pregnant and they're out of wedlock. Obviously, it's the only time it's ever happened in history that somebody's been pregnant from the Holy Spirit. But he's going to suffer, and he's going to have to give himself away. Yes, it's beyond, he's he's willing to suffer beyond his own comfort. If he were looking for only his own comfort, he would have, he would have ignored the word of the Lord and chosen to do what he wanted to do. My concern for us is that we do this. We ignore the word of the Lord and we do what we want to do. You, I mean, you think about this. We, 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 I just told Jim that we've been at it for uh, 10 years and we do have a very small church. We're in a time where it's not very popular to come to church. What if all the people in our area who claim they believe in Jesus actually went to a church? Even if one was they went to some church. That means there would be a lot of people supposedly in church. I don't, know, I don't know if these people really believe in Jesus or not. Why would they not want to go worship Him and, and give their worship to Him? Or all kinds of con- cultural conditioning that's been happening. But what if they did? And then what if that number of people were to actually tithe at least so it's like his tithes and our offerings so what if they actually gave the 10% really to the church what if the church then had actual resources to be of some help to people we're caught in a situation where it'd be nice if the church could do more for people I get calls and I say I I can't we don't have we just don't have these kinds of resources what we're needing What if the church, not the government, took care of the hurting and the poor and the outcasts in our town? And it's, you know, you read church planting books and they say uh, the millennials or whatever the generation X, what's next? Those people like the people, the churches, that are going to do things for the community. Well, amen, praise Jesus, let's do that. But how do we do that when you have so few resources? The church in the United States is a bit like my story from last week where I said to my friend about uh, Ephraim in Rwanda, he and I were talking about their needs and I said, so many needs and so few resources. And Ephraim said, that my friend is Africa. So many needs, so few resources. That's the condition of the American church because we hear from the word of the Lord. We know these things, but we don't believe. Belief has to do with action. I think that we could serve our community in multitude of ways if people who believed in Jesus would be in the church. If those in the church would support the church, and and, it, and if and if me preaching about the possibilities, just imagining tithing, if that's rubbing you the wrong way, come talk to me after. I want to hear. Because like, we say it every week. The only reason we have anything to give back to him is because he has given us all, everything we have. Would we not want to give to him? I want to give him more and more. And, and, and I would say, if, if the tithing piece is rubbing you the wrong way, you've missed the point of the story. Because there's a point where we believe, so we hear, but we don't believe what we hear. We don't act on what we hear. So we don't faith it, if you will. So for us, the people of faith, we have compassion on the outcast and the downtrodden, And we are to have courage to stand with them in opposition to the cultural pressures around us. For our confidence comes through the scriptures and therefore our faith is to fuel our commitment to persevere in what the Lord has called us to do. Will you stand in confidence in the scriptures and have courage to stand with those in opposition to the cultural pressures around you? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray.